We are in the third Sunday of, of Advent, in case you forget, you can look at the candles here. And, uh, we've lit the third one, so that means we have two more uh, worship services where we will kind of focus on the Christmas story. We're looking at uh, several different texts this year. Uh, somewhat unusual, but not that unusual. Uh, today we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Lord willing, next week on Sunday, we'll look at Mark 1, 1 through 8. And then on Christmas Eve at 7 p.m., our candlelight service, we'll look at Luke chapter 2. Uh, next Sunday as well is our Lessons and Carols, where we'll focus on various scripture passages and uh, languages that represent some of our diversity here. So uh, make sure you can come out for that. I, I have, every year I kind of have this mixed feeling about, you know, how, how much of the traditional Christmas texts do we focus on? You know, how do we keep it from just becoming routine and just sort of a tradition without meaning? And so part of that's why I, I try to look for somewhat different, slightly unusual Christmas texts, as well as looking at Luke 2 and, you know, Matthew 1 and those kind of things. Uh, but it's, it's helpful, right? We, we need to remember this Christmas story. We need to not forget it. We need to look at it and understand it as part of the overall story of what God is doing in the world. Uh, Christmas is not everything, but it is something, something very important. And I think part of the, the Christmas story is this hope that we find from it, where God, God shows his powerful work in what, from a human perspective, seems like very small things. You know, a poor woman in an out-of-the-way town and her betrothed husband journey a long way to give birth in a barn in another small town. And the only fanfare is angels out in the field. And shepherds, lowly shepherds, are the audience. Those kind of small things are what we need to remember God uses in mighty ways. So let's look together here at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 with the focus on the birth of Jesus. Would you read with me? Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to your word and we pray you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, that it might transform us, even in small ways, to be more like Jesus. But we pray, trusting you'll do that because we come in the name of Jesus and believing that you work through your spirit. Amen. I was uh, reminded recently of uh, this theologian who traveled around doing seminars in various places, and as he was traveling by plane one time, he happened to be sitting next to a man from India. And they began talking, and the theologian was from Great Britain. And they had talked uh, about various things, and it, it turns out that this man from India had grown up as a Hindu and was in a terrible circumstance in so many ways. He was outcast and, and despised, had never heard the gospel, had never heard about Jesus, though he, he knew he'd never read the Bible. He had heard of Jesus, I guess, but had never read the Bible. And so he went to college and happened to find, happened to find a Bible and started reading it in the Old Testament at random. And he came to faith in the living and true God. A life-changing encounter as he read about the circumstances of Naboth and Ahab and Jezebel, which I think we've mentioned the last two or three weeks, that, that text just keeps coming up. I don't know what it is with that text this year, especially this Christmas season, this story of Naboth, who was killed because Jezebel conspired to get his property away from him. It came up when we were talking about coveting. It came up, Pastor Dave mentioned it in terms of lying in the week before that. Now it's coming up again in the story of this man who'd come to faith as he saw in his own family's experience the injustice that Naboth experienced as the powerful people took away not only his property but his life. And what this man read in that story was of Elijah coming and declaring that there is a God of justice who will set things right. He, he went on to grow in his faith and all, but that, just that idea, what I, what I want you to think about is just that, that, that what grips people, that what had gripped me, and I'm going to guess what gripped you, if you have come to a faith in Jesus, is the story of how it just makes sense of our experience, of how this story that we read in the Bible is true, and resonates with our hearts. That, that reality is what the Christmas story is a part of, that bigger story. The story of God's good news. The story of hope. The story of life. The story of brokenness. The story of how things will change for the good. And so the, this Christmas story is a great source of hope. Because it shows the powerful work of God even when He seems to be doing nothing. 
from a human perspective. You know, you think about that man's experience hearing and reading the story of Naboth. He, he heard Elijah declaring justice would come. You know, I came to faith hearing that Jesus would come. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't experienced it. But there's those promises. You know, the, when you think about it, there's not a lot there from a human perspective. It seems like such a little thing. But the story has power. Maybe it's not nothing, but it's a small thing where God comes near in human form as a baby in a manger. With God, it is those small things that I want us to remember today and this week. It is those small things that can have a powerful impact for good. Can have a powerful impact on our hearts. Can have a powerful impact on our community around us. And we can tap into that power by doing relatively small things and what even maybe feels like nothing. I'm going to see that today as we unpack this story of the good news, as we unpack the story of the gospel, as Paul puts it here in verse 1, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You probably know if you've been in the church for a while that that is a compound word in the Greek. It means good and news or message. Good news. You and Gelion, gospel. And I think as we talk about the gospel, it kind of loses that. It just becomes a word, right? So to just revisit it once in a while and say, this is good news. This is a good message. This is a good story. It's true. And it's one that centers on Jesus. Even as Paul wrote this letter to encourage. And so how do we, how do we get that mindset? How do we keep that mindset? Every Christmas this year, I want us to look at at three things. But first of all, I want us to look at this, this good news as the fulfillment of God's promise. First of all, it's about God's promise that he made in the past. Look at verse 1. He says, set apart for the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. This, this, this story is about past promises, about things that God said and made and verbalized in history before they happen. This word here, promise beforehand, is actually only one word in the Greek, and it's, it's, very, it's, it's closely related to the word for gospel, being gospel is euangelion, good message or news. This word here is Pra-ep-angelia. That's before and then a word for, a, a prefix for essentially purpose or goal and news. So it's like before purposed good news, you know, before purposed news instead of good news. It is this promise ahead of time. It is something that's going to come that God speaks of before it happens. It's a message declared ahead of times. In other words, you know, this story isn't something that was just made up as my history teacher told me in high school many, 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 many years ago. 
by some guys in a bar outside of Jerusalem. That was his view. You can't read the Scriptures and come away with that conclusion as you see how many times God has made a promise in the past and it comes about. In fact, those promises are repeated many times. Notice he says in verse 1, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, which he promised through various different people, through various spans of time. And it was written down hundreds of years in the making. And we have copies of scrolls from hundreds of years before Jesus, from Isaiah in particular, I think of, that that say, you know what, you you just can't make this up. I remember the first time, after I had come to faith in Jesus, I was going through my first Christmas. And on the, I think it was Channel 10, they put up uh, the, the part of Isaiah 53 that spoke of Jesus coming, one who was despised and rejected. This one, Channel 10. I don't, it was like, I don't know if they still do that anymore. But I remember thinking, wow, wow, that's Jesus. And then I found out later on that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. It just, it's like a full-color picture ahead of time. That's just one example. If you go through the Scriptures, you can find dozens and dozens and dozens. You know, Genesis 3.15 talks of the seed that would be born of the woman. Genesis 12 talks about the seed that would be born of Abraham. The, Genesis 17, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob. The one who would come as a ruler, we read today as our candlelighting from Micah 5, in the passage that speaks of Bethlehem and Judea. You go through all the scriptures and you could find all of these things. That if it was once or twice, you'd go, wow, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, psychics do those kind of things. They speak vaguely, right? And they, they seem to know things and they just are observant. But you hear in the scriptures, things that are written down hundreds of years ahead of time, They're fulfilled in various details. There's dozens and dozens of those. I put some of the scriptures here in your outline. That God promised these things way ahead of time, and he delivered. That he is a God who promises and keeps those promises. Yet that's just the first part of the story, right? That's kind of the, the foreshadowing. That's kind of the things to come. That's the the previews, the trailer for the feature, for the coming attraction. And that's not all there is, right? It's, It's about God's promises. The story is also about God's presence. God's presence. That this one, this story is about, this Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 3, Paul says, This gospel spoken of, promised beforehand, verse 2, verse 3, concerning His Son. It is the gospel of God concerning His Son. This one who would be born of a virgin, who would come as the angels declared to Zechariah and then to Mary and to Joseph as well. This one who we read about in John 1.1, who was with God, 
and was God. And then John 1.14 says what? And the Word became flesh. This is God come down miraculously, conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is God present with us. There's more passages in here that you could look up as well. Him being the fullness of God, the promises of God, of His presence. This is the Son of God, but He is also, and this is important, not only is He present with us as the Son of God, He's also present as the Son of Adam. This is God and humanity come together. Verse 3 of Romans 1 says, concerning His Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. That this one is God and man together. It seems there in Matthew that it's speaking in the genealogy in chapter 1 of Joseph's line. And he speaks of Jesus as of the same humanity that Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and the wife of Uriah, that is Bathsheba. That this is, this is one who is with us, not just in the beauty, not just in the perfection of what is best about humanity, but even with us in what is the worst of humanity, yet without sin. That He was like us, yet without sin. This is, this is the Gospel story. This is the good news of the one who would be the Son of God and the Son of Adam, the one who we say is the God-man. That's so important. As we think at Christmas time of this baby in a manger, we must never forget that this is not just a cute little baby, right? This is the God-man. This is God and humanity together. Verse 4 of Romans 1. This is the one who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now it's important to put that into context and understand what he's speaking of there because why would the Son of God need to be declared the Son of God? Well, the second person of the Trinity would never need to be declared the Son of God. He is the Son of God. But now, in the mystery of God, He, the second person of the Trinity, has come and taken on human flesh of sharing with the human nature while still remaining fully God. That it is the God-man. It is the divine and the human united without mixture, without confusion, without all of those things that would make it heretical, that those two together, that's what Paul is speaking of when he says this one was declared the Son of God with power. That the second person of the Trinity united with human flesh now and forever. That they, He might be the one who stands between a broken and fallen humanity and a just and holy God. That He might be the mediator that He might stand between us. This is why, if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, you don't have the Gospel story. And if you don't believe that God had to come down to fix us, you don't understand the Gospel 
Christmas story. That God had to come. And He had to be present among us to fulfill justice. And He didn't come. You have to have the whole story of the Gospel and not just the Christmas part of it. The baby and the manger and the angels and all the joy to the world. You have to have the other end of the story. I love that hymn, you know, What Child Is This? Who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, right? Nails, spear shall pierce his side. That's a part of the Christmas story that will help us remember the Gospel story that this child has come not just to, to bring joy in the moment, not just to teach us what we need to know, not just to live perfectly, but He came to suffer and to die for us for our sin and to reconcile us to God. And it is only because He is the God-man that He could go under the weight of all of that sin and brokenness that He could die for the sins of so, so many and rise victorious. It's only as the God-man that He could achieve that. If He were merely one man, He'd live perfectly, He would get Himself into heaven and He'd be all alone. But He's not. He's the God-man. And He could bear the weight of your sin every single sin and my sin and the countless sins of his people through all time and when he rises from the dead we can know that it's truly finished that there is nothing more to pay there the debt is settled that this god loved us and sent his son into the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life that's, that's all a part of this Christmas story. This message of, of God's promises, of God's presence, and then finally, of God's power. And this is where the, the small things and the big things really collide. Because God's power doesn't come by our power. It doesn't come by our strength. It doesn't come by us trying harder. It comes by the simple act of grace. That we receive God's grace as a gift. Verse 5, Paul says in Romans 1, through whom, that is through Jesus, he mentions in verse 4, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake. Verse 6, among whom you are also the called of Jesus Christ. It's, it's, not, it's not about works. It's not about your strength. It's not about your power. It's not about your knowledge. It's not about your family. It's not about your upbringing. It's about the fact of God's power being accessible to you by the simple and almost nothingness, by the empty hand of believing and receiving that it is a gift. That's the biggest barrier of accepting the story, it seems to me that we can't believe it's free, that we can't believe it comes by grace. We want to contribute, we want to reach in the wallet and start paying back for the gift rather than just receiving it through faith. It's received by grace as a gift through faith in God's story. Verse 7, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is the hardest thing to grasp about God's power. 
is that you receive it by recognizing you have nothing. By acknowledging that what you need is outside help. That what you need is someone to come down and lift you up and rescue you. That what you need, you don't have. And to realize that that includes obedience. That that includes a calling. That that includes those things after God has rescued you. He doesn't come to you when you're dead and say, if you start obeying now and you do all the things I want, then I will love you and accept you. He comes to you by grace and says you are loved. And He calls you out of the grave. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive through faith in Jesus Christ. And that comes by grace as a gift through faith in God's story with calling. With a calling to serve. He speaks of those things as His calling of, as an apostle. He speaks, Paul, here in these words of having received that call, being called as saints, set apart, that God calls you. He doesn't leave you where you are, but He gives you a mission. And, and, and part of what I feel like is the, the challenge of following Jesus is recognizing that it's often the things that you do that you don't think are a big deal. The things that you want to say, well, that's nothing. They're the very things that God is using to bless the people around you. It seems like we, we don't feel like it's really serving unless it's painful or something. That we don't feel like it really counts unless it really costs us a lot. And there are, you know, there are sacrifices that we make. But you know, the most generous people, they just give. And they don't think about it. It's a sacrifice. They could do other things with that money, but they choose to give. The, the people who serve are following what the Lord has called them to do. That's, that's the story of the, that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 25, where people are like, well, when did I feed you? When, when, when did I clothe you? When did I visit you? When you were naked, you said, if you did the least to me, you did, you did the least of these, you did it to me. The sense where we will get to heaven and God will be like, you did this and this. And you're like, wait, what? Really? That, that that sort of small things are part of what God is doing. And it's, it's a sign, in fact, it can lead some of us to doubt that we're really His because, well, I just, you know, I wanted to do those things. Not everybody does. Not everybody gets up every day and goes to work and sacrifices for their family and comes home and does their best to love their children well. Not every child listens to their parents and maybe reluctantly does what they want. Not every person comes and just hangs out in the Sunday school classroom or in the wilderness as we do here or serves. Not every person gives. But you do. You keep loving your spouse and persevering. You keep loving your kids even though you mess up 
and persevering. So much of what you do, moms, husbands, children, nursery workers, kids' fair volunteers, Camp Treasure Island leaders, teachers, nurses, doctors, givers. So, so much of what you do seems, I'm going to guess, insignificant. I can't imagine, though, and I'm so looking forward to seeing what God will reveal to us in the future of what just your, your you, maybe you feel like a pebble in the pond and just insignificant. The level doesn't change, but there are ripples. And those ripples impact eternity. You know, we were on a big ferry. We were up in Maine a few weeks ago. We were on a large ferry that carried cars and people and everything, you know. And there was this smaller boat just zooming by. And it didn't seem like a very big vessel. And it wasn't going that fast, but it did have a bit of a wake, you know, the waves coming out behind it. And it, it moved that big ferry. Well, we felt it. The ferry, we were almost bigger than this, this room, bigger than probably this part of the building. And it was moved by that small boat cruising by. Brothers and sisters, that, that's, you know, you're just cruising along. The wake behind you. Now, think about that too, though, because sometimes that is harmful stuff we're leaving behind. But if you're heeding this call of God, if you're listening to Him speaking to you, if you understand this Christmas story, if you are resting in the promises of God and trusting that He is present with you, then this power is in you and with you. And it's making an impact that I don't know that we will ever grasp fully. And it's calling you and continuing to call you to those little things. You know, James puts it this way, the tongue is, is a small thing, but you, know, you can set the world on fire with it. He's speaking of it in, a, in, the, in the ways that we use it for harm. It can do the same for good. Just a kind word. What if you encourage the cashier at Walmart who's apparently having a bad day and you just you know, smile and, and, and thanked her for bagging your stuff you know, in a way that was quick and got you out of there instead of like, complaining about how there's not many registers and they never have any open. And what, you know, now she's buoyed up, right? And she encourages the next person. Those, those kind of things, if you multiply that by just the gospel impact, you know, what if you come out next Sunday afternoon and go caroling? One of the highlights for me every time we've gone out is going to the barber shop. And I don't even know if it's still there. I don't even know if it's open. But the, the people in there are always so happy to see us. The owner is just like, that's great, you guys. Yeah, come on in. It's usually really cold because we're going at night. And we sing, and the people are like, oh, and everybody's videoing. You know, it's just like a blessing. And what are we doing? We're, we're not just singing. We're singing about Jesus. We're singing about the story, and those people are going to walk away with that in their mind, cascading through their brain. And Lord willing, we're going to have the scrolls with the Christmas story on it. 
We're going to hand those out, and people are going to take those. And most of them, you know, I don't know what they'll do with them. They'll throw them on the ground or put them in the trash or put them in a drawer somewhere or whatever. But a lot of people around here can't throw away something like that. They will hold on to it, and they'll read it. And maybe like the man from India on the plane with the theologian, they will come to understand who Jesus is. And from that Christmas story, understand this bigger story of this hope that we have, this good news. And now it might seem like a small thing to just print out some scrolls and roll them up and hand them out. It might seem like a small thing to show up and sing some Christmas carols. It might seem like a small thing to pray for that. It might seem like a small thing. That's exactly the kind of things that God uses and builds upon to change the future. Think about a little baby being born in the middle of nowhere. A small thing. Think about him gathering followers from a a, a nowhere place like Galilee. Fishermen. A small thing. Twelve. At the end, only eleven. The world has never been the same since. God uses those small things. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace and mercy that you would use such a seemingly small thing as faith, the empty hand of a beggar receiving what you have to offer, that you would use feeble prayers, that you would use tiny financial amounts, that you would use meager efforts. You would use just showing up to bring ripples that move throughout the world, that you would use us. Lord Jesus, would you do that? Would you bless this community and this church and this area through us, even as you already have? Would you continue that good work through the preschool, through Kids Fair, through Camp Treasure Island, through our gathering together in smaller groups, through this worship service, through our caroling next week, through our Christmas Eve service, through this season, oh Lord, would you bless and work in such a mighty way that not one of us is tempted to say, wow, look at us, but we would say, Lord, look at you. You promised to work in and through us to never leave us nor forsake us, and you delivered You were present with your people with power. We pray, O Lord, in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.